Hello, 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 and welcome to The Timelines Project, a podcast all about the lore and story of Magic the Gathering, a very fun and interactive trading card game. If you're new, welcome. If you're not, welcome back. Today's episode will be Time Streams Part 2. Newcomers should go listen to Episode 9, which is Time Streams Part 1. If you don't like it, you can wait for next week, which is a brief summary of this episode and Episode 9. Alright, without further ado, let's get started with the topic for today, Time Streams by J. Robert King. But first, a recap. Last week's episode followed Urza, who had founded the Tolarian Academy. Urza accidentally blew up the first school with a time machine. He then returned ten years later and founded a new Tolarian Academy. The new school encountered issues, chief among them the time rifts caused by the time machine explosion, and Phyrexians in the gorge next to the school. But Urza and his companions persevered. Unfortunately, as you will see in this episode, their hardships were only just beginning. Chapter 12, The Manor Rig. Part 2 picks up 10 years after the last episode, making it most likely 3350 AR with a, a year or two of rig- wiggle room. Urza called all the main characters together for a meeting, the main characters being Baron, Joyra, Teferi, Karn, and Urza himself. He called them all together to tell them that he was going away. The others were concerned, and rightly so. Over the past five years, the Phyrexians created by Crick, uh, who is the leader of the Phyrexians, had started escaping the gorge in larger and deadlier amounts. Urza assured them that the island defenses were sound. Urza explained that he was going to go to Joyra's homeland, Shiv. There he hoped to find a forge that could make the special super hard metal that Shiv was known for. The others unwillingly agreed. Urza descended from the clouds into Shiv. Shiv was a volcanic land, characterized by steaming lakes of molten rock, pulsing rivers of lava flowing down the sides of mountains, and cooled veins of volcanic rock forming winding paths and noxious fumes that permeated the air. Urza descended into this hellscape and walked along a shoulder of a mountain until he saw what he had come there to find, the manor rig. It was truly a sight to behold. Perched on a stone outcrop jutting out over a sea of fire, the rig was split into two parts. One half, a monastery of conical temples and towers. The other, a Thran forge hanging over the ocean of lava. In between the two parts were production lines and storage areas. As Urza approached, he was halted by lizard people. They were called the Viachino, and they looked remarkably similar to the Levalthos from The Legend of Zelda except the Viachino were a bit bulkier. You can see them on various magic cards. Urza was trespassing on Viachino land, and they wanted him to leave. Urza requested that they take him to their leader so that he could negotiate a deal to use the Thran Forge. The Viachino refused and summoned their champion, a young dragon named Ramadaragaz, to incinerate Urza. When their champion was overpowered by Urza, the Viachino agreed to take him to their leader. Urza stood before Bay Fire Eye of the Viachino. The Bay is the leader, by the way. He explained to him about the Phyrexian threat and why the forge was of utmost importance. 
Urza told him of Karn, and that he hoped to make more metal men like Karn out of the super-hard Thran metal produced by the Forge. Fire Eye agreed to let Urza use the Forge, even help him, but on two conditions. First, Urza must drive off Garadaragaz, the mother of the Viashino champion, Ramadaragaz. The second condition was that when their work was finished, Urza would give Karn to the Viashino so he could teach them how to create sentient life. Urza hesitated when hearing the second condition, but he thought of all the death and destruction he had seen over the millennia, and his resolve hardened. Chapter 13, Strength in Numbers. The ostrich-like Talarian runners were sprinting through the trees towards a horde of Phyrexians emerging from the trees of Angelwood. Angelwood was the moderate slow time rift on the shattered isle of Teleria. The Phyrexians had dug out of their fast time gorge and into Angelwood. Joyra and Karn, along with seven Telerian runners, were the first line of defense against the beasts. While a few runners engaged the Phyrexians with wing blades, Joyra and Karn snuck around the horrors to the cave entrance with the remaining runners. Joyra led the attack into the cave, and five runners charged in after them. Karn and Joyra then sprinted to the cave mouth as the runners all self-destructed, causing the cave to collapse. They found themselves completely surrounded by the remaining Phyrexians. As they faced down the horde, Baron, Archmage, and head of the Telerian Academy emerged from the forest and destroyed all the Phyrexians. Joyra, Karn, and Baron returned to the school after successfully fending off the latest Phyrexian attack, to find that Urza had returned and he was taking Karn, Joyra, and a group of students to the Thran Forge to direct the Viashino in the construction of the machines that Urza would use to combat the Phyrexians. Among the scholars was Teferi, who had matured much since he was freed from his temporal prison in the previous episode. Months passed, and Joyra and the Viashino were still working to get the Thran Forge up and running. Meanwhile, Urza and Karn were approaching Garrett Daragaz's lair, Urza had to stop the dragon from attacking the Viashino as part of their deal, whether by convincing her to stop or just killing her. Urza planeswalked the two of them directly to the great dragon. Urza warned the fire drake not to attack the Thran Forge or he would have to kill her, and it worked. They, she stopped attacking. Baron was once again fighting off an attack from the Phyrexians. Crick had managed to create spell-casting Phyrexians, but they were still not strong enough to defeat the school, and they were beaten back once again. Still, Crick was getting stronger. Chapter 14, The Forbidden Zone. Urza had once again called a meeting of important people. This group included Joyra, Karn, Teferi, and a handful of top scholars. Urza had devised a new machine, a sort of ultimate weapon, that they could use to defeat the Phyrexians. It was a ship capable of hypersonic speeds, built using only Thran metal and outfitted with an array of powerful weapons. The ship would be used to attack key points and eventually strike directly into the heart of Phyrexia and destroy it. Urza also wanted a prototype metal man at the end of the month. Teferi and Joyra were sneaking into the forbidden zone of the manor rig. Teferi wanted to know why it was forbidden and abandoned, and had managed to convince Joyra to come with him. They crawled through the vents until they emerged into a giant room, 
At the center of the room was a giant machine. Teferi and Joyra approached the machine and peered through a porthole in the side and what they saw shocked them. It was hundreds of small and medium-sized power stones and one massive one. Any one of them could power a Phyrexian dragon if charged. Joyra realized that the machine didn't just store power stones, it also made them. She also realized that they weren't alone. The pair turned and were met with the sight of hundreds of goblins. So it turns out that the Forbidden Zone was forbidden for a reason, because it was sacred to the goblins, who were not at all happy that someone was trespassing. They captured Joyra and Teferi, then began to plan their attack on the humans and Viashino in the Thran Forge part of the Manor Rig. Meanwhile, in the Thran Forge part of the Manor Rig, Urza was encountering some difficulties. The Thran metal had some other properties besides its seeming indestructibility. The metal grew. As Urza tried to put the plates of the metal man together, they grew and grinded against each other until they eventually popped out. An alarm suddenly blared, and Urza tried to work through it. He finally gave up and went to find the source of the alarm. Karn met him and notified Urza of the goblin attack. The Viashino were losing the battle when Urza arrived. They were outnumbered and caught off guard. Urza singled out the three goblin leaders and captured them. The fighting stopped as the goblin chieftains were raised into the air by an invisible force. Urza demanded the goblins, and I quote, Throw down your weapons or face immediate destruction. End quote. The goblin leaders refused and demanded Urza surrender, otherwise they would kill Joyra and Teferi. To prove they held them prisoner, one of the goblins let Urza speak to them remotely, and Joyra told him about the machine that could make power stones. Chapter 15, The Ultimate Weapon Urza briefly visited Teleria to tell Baron about the peace he had just negotiated between the goblins and the Viashino, and to check and make sure the defenses were holding. He then returned to the manor rig and held a meeting with the same people from the previous chapter, and he once again discussed his plans for the ultimate weapon flying ship. But he had made some adjustments. The previous design had been entirely Thran metal. Urza changed it so the Thran metal would only be used in key places. The rest of the ship would be wooden, but not just any wood. Wood from Yavamaya, the largest and greatest forest on Dominaria. Actually, I'm not sure if it's the largest, but I'm pretty sure it is. He had also added one more crucial detail. The ship would be powered by the massive power stone that Joyra and Teferi had found. The power it provided would allow the ship to plane shift, which is just planes walking minus the walking. They had the power stone and the Thran metal, so Urza was leaving to go convince Yavamaya to give him a seed to grow the hull of his ship. He would only be gone for a few days, maybe a week, and he was putting Joyra and Teferi in charge of the Viashino and goblins while he was gone. Urza descended from the clouds into the dense jungle of Yavamaya. Ancient trees stretched thousands of feet into the air and thousands of feet into the ground. Among the branches of the monolithic trees were villages of elves. In some hollows, Urza even observed whole lakes, with waterfalls cascading from these lakes into the darkness. A darkness Urza descended into. As his eyes adjusted to the gloom, Urza saw that some trees had fallen, making massive highway-sized ramps. Others had fallen completely, creating 
canyons thousands of feet deep into the forest canopy. Urza descended to the roots and observed that life was here too, in the depths of the forest. Giant ants swarmed over roots of trees, and villages of elves were perched on the sides. Dryads peered from behind branches, and tree goats climbed up trunks. Urza settled on a massive root and sent out a summons to the forest. Montani knew who Urza was as soon as he entered the forest. He was, quote, Defiler of Arkoth, Destroyer of Elves, Terror's Twin, The End Man, Slayer of the People of the World, Urza Planeswalker, end quote. Multani was the manifestation of the forest will, much as Titania had been for Argoth. Argoth and Titania were gone, but Multani had not forgotten what Urza had done to them, and Yavimaya hadn't forgotten either. Now that Urza was here, Multani had to trap him so that he could pay for what he had done. Urza sent out another summons and waited for the forest to respond. Suddenly, the creatures of the forest came and surrounded Urza, all their voices joining together in song. Urza was caught up in the music, and in a trance walked into the hole that had suddenly opened up in the tree he was standing on. From the hole came the source of the music, and Urza followed it to its source. Suddenly, the tree closed up around him, fusing with his body and trapping Urza. Chapter 16 Teleria Besieged The Fiashino were growing impatient. Urza had been gone for nearly three years, and they wanted their metal man, Urza had promised. Joyra didn't want to give her friend away and stalled for time, but if Urza didn't return soon, they would lose Karn forever. Urza was in the process of being tortured by Yavimaya. He became Argoth and felt every tree cut down, every bush burnt away as his past self and his past brother destroyed present Urza's body. Baron watched over the walls of the academy as the Phyrexian hordes approached. Over the years, Teleri's defenses had been stretched thin by the increasing ferocity of the Phyrexian attacks. They could not hold out for much longer. If Urza did not return soon, Teleria would be lost. Joyra couldn't stall any longer. The Thran metal Telerian runners were complete. The Fiashino had claimed their prize, and Karn now belonged to them. Chapter 17 Teleria's Last Stand When Urza had left for Shiv, he had given Baron a beacon that he could activate to call Urza in his hour of need. Baron was once again on the walls of Teleria, watching as a tide of Phyrexians swept toward the walls. He had just activated the beacon. Urza had not come, but Teleria would not go down without a fight. The Phyrexians hit the first line of defense, the Telerian runners, and the remaining hypersonic falcons. Hundreds of Phyrexians went down, but it barely made a dent in their forces. They just clambered over their dead companions and kept coming. Next, they met the Scorpions, who were effective at first, but soon became mired in a wall of dead flesh, and the Phyrexians simply climbed over as well. The Horde began to climb the walls, and then Baron realized that the Phyrexians were already in the academy. A mass of Phyrexians had crawled up through the drainage grates and emerged into the courtyards of the school. Baron descended the walls to fight, but he realized that Urza was dead, and soon Teleria would be too. Urza was Argoth being destroyed once again. He could hear every elf dying, feel every leaf burning, but amid all the death and destruction, he could hear something else. 
It was his name, repeated over and over and over again. But it wasn't a cry of hate. It was a call for help. They did not call to Urza, defiler of Argoth, Urza, bringer of destruction. The voices called to Urza, founder of Teleria. Urza, who had brokered a peace between warring factions. The Urza who did everything in his power to defeat the Phyrexians, while still looking out for the people affected by his actions. This Urza heeded their call. He gathered his power together and broke free from the forest will. But the forest didn't want to let him go. In a last-ditch effort, Multani fused with Urza and tried to trap him. Once Urza had regained his power, the forest could not contain him, and Multani was ripped from the forest as Urza planes walked to ship. Urza materialized right behind Joyra and told her to collect all the fighters she could and await his return. Urza planes walked above Teleria and cast bolts of destructive energy, destroying as many Phyrexians as he could, but halting his power before he could harm anything not Phyrexian. Urza then returned to the point where he told Joyra to gather the troops. All the Teleryan callers, including Teferi and Joyra, were there, and there was a contingent of 40 Viashino, among them Karn and Ramadaragaz, the young dragon. The final group was a ragtag collection of goblins. Urza took them all in a planeswalk and dropped them in the middle of the battle. He then returned to Shiv, but not to the Manor Rig. He planeswalked to the airy of the dragon Garadaragaz, and he promised her that she could have her son back if she joined the defenders of Teleria. She readily agreed, and Urza planeswalked to her above Teleria, where she released a wave of flame on the Phyrexian hordes. Urza then descended into the Phyrexian Gorge. He knew that if the Phyrexians were to be stopped, their source must be destroyed. So Urza was going to kill Crick. But Crick was ready for him. He had had nearly four centuries to prepare. As Urza descended, he was hit by something, and then he heard the sonic boom and realized it was one of the Falcons, but reprogrammed to attack him. The Falcon had lodged in Urza's gut and activated its saw blaze, tearing into him. Once again, Crick had trapped him by forcing him to constantly heal instead of gathering mana to fight. Urza collapsed and Crick appeared. After the obligatory villain dialogue, you know, you were a fool to think you could ever defeat me. I'm stronger than you could ever imagine. Kill everything you hold dear. You know, the basic stuff. Crick prepared to finally end Urza Planeswalker. As Crick's blade descended toward Urza's neck, he felt a sudden rush of power, and Urza disappeared just as the blade struck. Crick was confused. Where could Urza have gone? It was impossible to planeswalk out of a time rift because, you know, of the time difference. Crick had several more falcons stationed around the canyon, covering every angle. Then, Crick exploded as Urza planeswalked into him. Multani had seen the horror that Urza fought and decided that three years was enough torture. Urza had changed, and Yavimaya would help him defeat the Phyrexians. He had given Urza the burst of power to planeswalk, and had showed him that if he planeswalked into Carrick, he would be covered in his blood so that the Falcons couldn't sense him. After destroying all the Phyrexians left in the canyon, Urza ascended and helped the defenders finish off the remaining Phyrexians. Teleria was saved, and Urza had gained a powerful new ally. Chapter 18, The Weather Seed. A week passed. Urza had gathered all the representatives of the new Dominarian Alliance together to celebrate and to show them his latest machine. 
The representatives included Joyra, Teferi, Bay Fire Eye, the Goblin Leaders, Gary Darigaz, Rama Darigaz, Multani, and an assortment of unsignificant unnamed characters. Karn was also there. Urza had negotiated with the Bay, and Karn was truly free for the first time in his four decades of life. Urza unveiled his new creation, the ultimate weapon, a flying skyship. It was just the Thran metal frame, but Multani had given a seed from the heart of Yavamaya to Urza. It was called the Weather Seed. Urza planted it, and before the gathering's eyes, it began to grow up the frame, melding with the metal. It would take a few months for the ship to be complete, and Urza laid out his plan for the first flight of the new ship and the first battle of the new coalition. Chapter 19 Between Angels and Demons The Phyrexians had infiltrated Sarah's realm, and Urza meant to drive them out. But first, he had to see just how bad it was, and if they could expect support from the angels who remained in Sarah's realm. As Urza descended into Sarah's realm, he saw that it was really bad. The realm was collapsing without Sarah there, and it had shrunk so much that its borders could be seen, like being inside a snow globe and seeing its walls all around you. Sarah had been driven off by the Phyrexians, and the realm was now ruled by Archangel Radiant. As Urza descended to Sarah's palace, he saw that it had become a floating fortress. A contingent of angels met Urza and took him to Lady Radiant. On the way, Urza could smell Phyrexian oil on the air and realized that Phyrexian sleeper agents might have infiltrated the palace. Urza met with Lady Radiant, who wanted nothing to do with him or his Dominarian protection program, and refused when he offered to take refugees back to Dominaria. She did, however, allow him to join a raiding party which was going to wipe out a supposed hideout of Phyrexian sleeper agents. Chapter 20 Among Angels and Demons Urza's war party carried with them torches that were supposed to make Phyrexians glow yellow in their light. The war party landed on a flying island and charged the settlement. Urza was leading the charge. Angels entered the houses and began slaughtering the humans, all of whose skin turned yellow. But Urza realized that the humans were not Phyrexian, and that the Phyrexian sleeper agent that had infiltrated the palace had tricked Lady Radiant into killing her own people. Urza suspected Radiant's war minister, a man named Gorig. Urza also realized that the torches that were supposed to reveal Phyrexian newts served a much more sinister purpose. They absorbed the souls of the dead. Urza returned to the palace and confronted Lady Radiant, but left when she attacked him. He was going to have no help, but Urza was determined to save the innocent people trapped in Sarah's realm, with or without Radiant's help. Urza returned to Teleria to discuss what he had learned with Baron. Baron and Urza formulated a plan, based on what they had learned. The skyship was almost complete, and once it was done, they would take it to Sarah's realm and take as many refugees away to Dominaria. While the ship was being finished, Urza would return to Sarah's realm to look for the soul battery that the Phyrexians were using to store the souls they had collected. While there, he would also organize a rendezvous point for the refugees to be picked up by the skyship and taken to Dominaria. Chapter 21 I Name Thee Weatherlight 
Urzo was unsuccessful in his search for the soul battery, but did manage to set up a meeting place at Jabok, the largest colony of refugees. Finally, the flying ship was ready. The ship's massive mana battery had been charged by a few soul torches that Urza had brought back. The rails of the ship had been outfitted with all sorts of weapons, such as light-based ray cannons that doubled as lanterns, glass spitters. Joyra had invented these after seeing the deadly magma sprays at the mana rig. They shot shards of molten glass in a wide spray. The final weapon on the ship was called the Acid Automatizer. It shot acid. Along with the weapons built into the ship, they were also bringing 300 hypersonic falcons, 200 Talarian runners, 12 pumas, I don't know why 12 pumas, and 200 scorpions, and 100 Yodian warriors, which you'll remember Urza built during the Brothers' War. Jora was the captain, and Karn the master of engines. Urza and Baron would lead the ship to Sarah's realm, and together with Garrod Daragaz and Rama Daragaz, they would defend the ship while it loaded as many refugees as possible, which is a lot. Of course, those of you familiar with boats know that you're supposed to name a ship before its first voyage. As the ship lifted off for the first time, Urza flew up with a champagne bottle and smashed it against the prow, declaring, and I quote, I name thee Weatherlight, end quote. Urza and Baron flew off with the two dragons, and the Weatherlight followed them out over the waves. Urza cast a great planeswalking spell over them, and they vanished. Joyra called out the order for plane shift. As the Weatherlight sped out over the ocean, a curtain of magic spread out from the ship's core until it encompassed it. Suddenly, the Weatherlight was in the star soup between the worlds, and just as suddenly, they were in Sarah's realm, just behind Urza. As Joyra emerged into Sarah's realm, she saw the floating island of Jabok, where thousands of refugees were gathered, and also saw a massive army of angels who had come to wipe them out. The Weatherlight coasted down to the island. The Power Stone was almost fully depleted by the plane shift. The ship could shoot a few blasts from its weapons, but that was it. While the Weatherlight descended to Jabok, Urza, Baron, Garidarigaz, and Ramadarigaz flew into the Tornado of Steel that was Radiant's angel army. Urza cast enchantments over the two dragons that would protect them from the angels, and Baron summoned two Tolarian drakes to help them in their battle. Urza, Baron, and their mounts were engulfed, but the angels couldn't harm them. I uh, don't think I made it clear, but Urza and Baron are riding the dragons. Baron was riding Ramadarigaz, the younger, and Urza was riding Garadarigaz. As Baron fought, a figure descended on him out of the army and landed on his dragon's back. It was Gorig, Lady Radiant's war minister, and the one who Urza suspected was the Phyrexian sleeper agent. Urza had guessed right. Gorig had turned into a demonic creature and did nothing to hide it. He had become a hulking brute with demonic wings and countless weapons implanted into his body. Baron had also found the soul battery that Urza was looking for. He was staring right at it, implanted into Gorig's chest. The Weatherlight landed safe enough and began to load the refugees. Joyra looked down at all the hopeful faces before her, and then looked up to where Urza and Baron were fighting. She gave the order to ready the defenses as the Golden Cyclone descended on them. Urza stood in his dragon saddle and watched as Sarah's realm collapsed around him. With each angelic death, the plane shrunk more. 
Soon it would reach a point of no return and collapse all at once, killing every living thing almost instantly. Urza instructed Garadaragaz to fly to Baron so that they could leave when the time came. Urza called to Baron as he flew past and told him to disengage and protect the Weatherlight. The Weatherlight was a sitting duck, incapable of flight or anything else. So Joyra and some of the other members of the crew ran to the front lines to collect soul torches to power the Power Stone. Baron was still fighting Gorig when Urza flew past and ordered a retreat. Baron had managed to hold off Gorig so far, but he wasn't going to last much longer. Chapter 22 A Fall from Grace Joyra reached the front lines and found herself fighting an angelic warrior. The angel was fast and knocked Joyra over. Unfortunately for him, his soul torch was knocked from his hand and brushed a wound in his side, absorbing his life force almost instantly. Joyra grabbed his torch and shoved it in the face of an archangel. Joyra returned to the ship with the crew. Collectively, they had seven torches. It was enough to fire the weapons and fly, and it might even be enough to plane shift. Urza and Garadarigaz rose to the angelic host, and Urza called out in a commanding voice for Lady Radiant to cease the senseless violence. Lady Radiant appeared. Urza tried to get her to stop the fighting, but she would not listen and cast a massive wall of energy at Urza. He didn't react in time, but Garadarigaz did. She positioned herself to block the attack, and it struck her full on and she dissolved before Urza's eyes. Urza saw that Radiant could not be negotiated with, and she must be destroyed. With a roar, Urza gathered all his magical might and hurled himself at Radiant, but she was ready for him. She dodged the attack and electrocuted Urza, temporarily paralyzing him. Urza dissolved his body and rematerialized it behind Radiant, but she was ready for that too. Her fingers became claws and she ripped them through Urza's head, pulling the two stones from his eyes. She cast her final spell and transported herself and the dying planeswalker to Sarah's palace. The angels had broken through the defenses. The Weatherlight lifted off. The soul torches had charged the Weatherlight enough for it to outrun the angelic horde, but not enough for plane shift. Soon it would be overrun, and all hope for defeating the Phyrexians would be lost. Radiant appeared, sitting on her throne. She tossed Ursa to the floor and held the two power stones in her hand. As the planeswalker bled out before her, she saw the two stones fit together. Baron was spent. He had only one spell remaining, but he had to wait for the perfect moment to cast it. As Gorig descended on him, Baron cast a web of control magic in front of him, and the Phyrexian beast changed its course, heading straight for the Weatherlight. With the Might Stone in her right hand and the Weak Stone in her left, Radiant slowly brought the two stones together. The explosion rocked Sarah's realm and destroyed the palace. Out of the smoke emerged Urza Planeswalker, the two power stones once again united in him. Joyra felt the explosion shake the realm, and then she heard a high-pitched keening wail. She looked up in time to see Gorig strike the power stone conduits. The Weatherlight suddenly jumped forward, and all the weapons fired with twice the intensity. As Sarah's realm collapsed around it, the Weatherlight plane shifted. Over the Isle of Teleria, a dragon emerged from the Blind Eternities. Behind it came a ship. The Weatherlight had returned. Alright, this has been part two of Time Streams. Urza has regained his sanity 
and his humanity. Joyra is the first captain of the Weatherlight, and the Dominarian Coalition has been formed. But the stories are not over. The Phyrexians must still be defeated. In two weeks' time, the story shall continue with Bloodlines Part 1. Next week is a summary episode of Time Streams, so if you listen to this episode in Episode 9, there's no need to listen to that one. If you have enjoyed this episode, or have any ideas or questions, let me know through the comments. And I highly suggest you actually go and read Time Streams, because I left out a lot. Anyway, that's all folks, and I'll see you next week.